investing in property makes sense. Investing in the right property takes knowledge. Welcome to the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. I'm Jared McCabe, Director of Wakeland Property Advisory. Join me for expert insights into the fundamentals, trends and opportunities to help you create long-term wealth through smart property decisions. Hi everyone and thank you for joining me for episode 12 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. So the intent all along with this podcast um, was always to provide property advice to assist people to make smart property decisions. Um, Our business since its commencement has always been built on investment properties, uh, advising predominantly on acquisitions, but once they've been purchased on how to maintain them and then and look after them and once you get to the point of needing to sell to assist in that space as well. So today I want to talk about what is an investment property. And there are obviously key differences between an investment property and a home. So I wanted to discuss those and why a home doesn't always qualify as a good investment property. Um, and also what are the key characteristics that make up a, a really good quality investment grade property. So the main thing that people seem to fail to understand um, as part of this journey is that buying an investment property is a business decision. So emotions and personal tastes must be left out of the equation. So why do people continue to make this mistake around homes and investments? So let's have a look at there's three main points that I wanted to discuss here. As Australians, we tend to see property as a reflection of, of ourselves. Um, so even if we are on a tight budget, we still see the reflection of how we see ourselves. Um, and it's also possibly how we would like others to see us as well. So we tend to gravitate towards properties that we find appealing personally, that we're comfortable with or that we perhaps might aspire to, uh, to live in at some point. The problem is that love is often blind and it's vital to realize that uh, emotional value and the financial value, they're not always the same thing and you need to be able to distinguish the difference between the two. The second one is that we think of our home as the chief source of our our wealth. So Australians have got an enduring uh, attachment to home ownership and this is very well built into our psyche. If you look back to pre-World War II, many Australian families at that point in time rented the same family home uh, pretty much for their entire lives. And then post-World War II, the government began to encourage home ownership in order to help rebuild the nation that had, that had suffered, obviously, during um, during that significant time. So the three-bedroom brick veneer dwelling on a quarter-acre block became really synonymous with the ideal of owning your small little piece of Australia. So even today, with all the global economy and the diverse opportunities that we have for different types of investment, Home ownership is still uh, an ideal that we uh, we still hold very strong to. So th- the ideal that home is our chief source of wealth and a form of superannuation to us um, through retirement uh, that we can pass on to our children, it really feeds into that mindset. Uh, and the objective was always to pay down the loan to build equity. That's always been what people have considered. That's how I'll, I'll build my wealth. And really capital growth didn't really come into that mindset. It wasn't a consideration. It was more about what you could pay off. The investment side of things was where shares came in. That's where you built your wealth, your capital growth, that type of thing. And that was if you could afford to do that. So with all the assets tied up in the house, it's no wonder that we tend to confuse home buying with what we like and what's performed um, with investing in property. So the the third and final point here is that we tend to equate spending with investing and it's not the case. Because of the role the family home has played in the asset base uh, over a long period of time, it's really colored our thinking. Um, Many people assume that spending money on property automatically makes it an investment or means that they're investing in property. 
So the idea is to take that emotional mindset out of the equation and make all your decisions with an emotional free uh, perspective on the market. So these are some of the main reasons why uh, people tend to focus uh, more on home buying elements when making investment decisions and why they can make mistakes as a result. So let's have a look now at what are the hallmarks of a true investment property. And the first one is long-term high capital growth potential. Now there's three elements to this that that we focus on uh, primarily. The first one being the scarcity value of the property. So scarcity value means that a property is not um, being replicated and having more and more of the same thing being built. It's not an anomalous property where it's unusual or not in keeping with what you would normally expect or a property that might be hard to come by. Um, it's typically a property that's in greater demand than there is supply, which obviously drives that scarcity value. They're harder to come by. Um, they might well be a, a number of them in a suburb. Um, for instance, terrace houses in some of the inner northern suburbs of Melbourne. They're quite common, but there's still more demand for them than there is supply available. The second is having a strong underlying land value. So a, prop, a location where there is very strong demand for property and for land in that area, but there's obviously a limited supply. So again, the inner city suburbs where um, land is a finite resource tends to be a really good um, area where strong land value continues to grow. So it creates that premium, and obviously with that limited opportunity, generates that growth going forward. And the final one is the multifaceted demand. Uh, And what we talk about there is that um, having multiple buyer profiles that would suit and are interested in that type of property. And what that does is that when you've uh, perhaps got a downtime or where the market flattens or maybe even goes into reverse, um, one or two of those buyers uh, are no longer active in the market for whatever reason, then there's others that are still there to at least take up the slack, um, hopefully make things level off to at a minimum, but certainly keep interest in that property. So a property that's going to generate interest from first home buyers, a property that's going to generate interest from upgraders who might be moving from perhaps an apartment into a unit, a villa unit, or an apartment into a house. Those types of upgraders who are looking to scale up, downsizers who are looking to come back from the family home as it's no longer um, its surplus to requirements in terms of its size. So some of the small, lower maintenance houses can work really well. A property that's going to be suited to investors um, because it's a low maintenance type property and and it's going to have good demand from a tenancy perspective as well. Um, And people that might be considering something as a second home. So perhaps, um, particularly with all the changes that have come about in the last couple of years with tree change and sea change options and moving to regional areas, perhaps wanting to have a a bolt hold still in Melbourne um, and this type of property might allow for that. So that's what we mean when we talk about multifaceted demand. And that really will help um, uh, drive that capital growth going forward. The next one is um, having a competitive and a sustainable rental income. So top performing investment properties, they must supply an optimum yet sustainable rental yield. So the objective obviously here is to offset the holding costs that are obviously associated with purchasing property, whether it be loan, management fees, um, council rates, insurances, all those sorts of things. Um, And it's also so that you can qualify for investment related tax concessions as well. And then hopefully in the future to replace the wage salary that you were once um, earning once you stop working. So these are all very important considerations and without, without rental income, it's obviously far less desirable and it's probably not a viable option to purchase uh, an investment property. But it does need to be kept in perspective. Many people make the mistake of focusing too much on rental returns and make it their prime reason for purchasing an investment property. So it's really important to remember that while that is an important component, it is always second to capital growth being the main objective when buying an investment property. 
The next one is um, looking at the close proximity to the CBD and to amenities, that type of thing. So having access to lifestyle requirements, and, and that's what the CBD does offer on, on a lot of the inner city um, areas of Melbourne. So good access to work. Now, I know there's a lot more flexibility around at the moment around working from home, that type of thing. However, at some point in time, whether it be six to 12 months, it's going to get back to some form of normality. Now, people may not necessarily be working um, five days a week in the city, but there'll there'll still be an element of working in the CBD. Obviously, the sporting and entertainment facilities that the CBD offers and the, the proximity to those, as well as um, restaurants, cafes, that type of thing. And, and the arts precinct as well is very popular and, and something that's certainly sought after to be close by to. So the public transport linkages in terms of being close to proximity and amenities are really important and also um, public open space and again in the last 18 months public open space has become a um, an even more, more desirable draw card because of the um, the restrictions that we've had in movement and if you've got really nice public open space close by it's something that's been able to be utilized um, fairly readily in the last 18 months. The next one is to look at the architectural timelessness and or, and or the conformity of the style of the property. So and it plays a really important role, particularly with the type of property um, becoming, the, the period style homes becoming a bit like an antique, uh, particularly in the inner city areas. So these types of properties, um, whether they be Victorian, Edwardian, Art Deco, and in more recent times, the more mid-century type styles are highly regarded and becoming harder and harder to come by as many of them are demolished or renovated um, within an inch of their life and, and not necessarily in keeping with the style of property or providing an affordable entry point. So it's actually making some types of properties, whether they be units, apartments or houses, becoming less affordable because they have been so highly renovated in recent times. Um, and part of that is to do with the fact that um, the, the cost of transacting real estate is so expensive, so many people have decided to stay put as opposed to moving, um, moving house and, and upgrading that way. Uh, and finally, uh, a logical floor plan and structural soundness are really important when um, when looking at an investment property. So, and this the, the floor plan particularly varies depending on the type of property that you are going to be purchasing, um, and it also obviously therefore varies um, on a buyer's expectations. Sometimes houses with timeless appeal in the most sought after location um, have been renovated and modified in a manner that um, the majority of buyers and tenants actually don't find acceptable. Uh, and that can really uh, impact on the flow and the balance of the floor plan. And that's really important to how uh, these properties flow. Um, and the, the structural integrity is, is a vital part of these types of properties as well. What you don't wanna get caught up doing is spending thousands of dollars on maintenance that actually isn't increasing the value of the property. You'd be much better off spending that money on cosmetic upgrades that are going to improve the aesthetic quality of the property, both from a resale perspective, but also from a tenancy point of view to help increase the, the rental return that you'll achieve on that property. Okay, so things to always remember going forward um, before we get to the, uh, the story is that making money out of residential investment property is a business venture and it requires a rational, detached state of mind when making those decisions. And it's got everything to do with research, to do with market knowledge and astute negotiations and absolutely nothing to do with emotions or what your personal tastes are. Okay, so let's have a look um, at uh, the practical example story for this week. Um, we've, had a, we've got a, a client that we've dealt with in recent times um, that purchased a, a family home for themselves uh, back in the eastern suburbs back in 2006 in eastern suburbs of Melbourne. And, and at the time, well, the property is located on a, a fairly busy road. 
Um, but that was a compromise at the time that they were prepared to make because it enabled them to get into that suburb that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to afford. So at the time, back in 2006, they paid 560000 for this property. Um, it's, a, uh, it's not typical for that, uh, that suburb. It's more of a, a mid-century 50s style home, which in some areas would be extremely popular and well sought after. But in this suburb, um, period style homes are typically more the norm. Um, and it's probably now worth around the $1.1 million mark. Uh, so that's a growth rate over that period of time of around 4.5% per annum compounding. Um, so they're now considering whether or not they should retain that as an investment because they've upgraded and purchased a new home um, and considering whether this one would be a good one to keep keep holding um, and hopefully get some more growth going forward. So what I've spoken to them about is um, perhaps why there'd be better options around than this one to retain. And so we looked back at, um, at a, a property that was purchased around the similar sort of money back in 2006 for another client, just to give them a practical example. Um, and this investment property was purchased at the time for a client in Carlton North. Um, and at the time we paid $520,000 in 2006 as well. So it's a little bit less than 10% from what they paid for the, uh, the home in the Eastern suburbs. With minimal work carried out on this little terrace house, minor upgrades, but nothing significant, certainly nothing structural, that property is now worth $1.6 million. So we've got a growth rate there of approximately 8% per annum over that, that um, same period of time. So what it's re really important to remember is that that home doesn't necessarily make a good investment, that original one. And the key differences with the, with the two properties above are that the investment property certainly had far greater scarcity value um, to it because it was far more uh, in far more demand. The family home was more of an anomalous property for that suburb. It wasn't um, overly common and wasn't overly sought after either. Um, the, the investment property's got a very strong land value where it is positioned. Um, it's in a very consistent street um, and in a very desirable streetscape in Carlton North. And if you compare that to the eastern suburban property, which has got limited um, land value, it's, it's still okay, but not compared to what it should be in other parts of the suburb because it's on a main road. Um, the multifaceted demand with the investment property is far stronger because all of those profiles I mentioned earlier are certainly in demand for that property but they wouldn't necessarily uh, have in interest in the main road property in the eastern suburbs because of that frontage, but also because of a couple of adjoining uses which are not overly favourable either. Um, the strong rental demand um, is, is certainly limited on a main road um, and also impacted by those adjoining uses. Um, so if you understand why those key differences are there and, why, and, and be able to put into perspective that the family home that was purchased was purchased for that reason, to get into that suburb, to give the lifestyle that you wanted um, and give that opportunity that otherwise wouldn't have been there. So you need to be able to separate and understand that that property's now served its purpose, but it's not something that's going to be beneficial retaining going forward. So better to move on from that property and focus on buying a purely investment property as opposed to trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. So that's it for me today. Thank you for joining me for episode 12 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. Please feel free as always to share the podcast with friends, family on uh, all your social media channels. It would be much appreciated. And if you would like further information on how to make rewarding property decisions, please visit our website, wakeland.com.au and we wish you all the best with your property decisions. <laughs>